Great. Well, the Lord has risen. He's risen indeed. Isn't it wonderful that we can come together today to celebrate the, the resurrected Lord? That um, every Sunday is a celebration of the resurrected Lord, but today we celebrate it particularly. And it's such a wonderful thing. And, uh, you know, what I'm doing at the moment is I'm competing against, uh, you know, the Belgrave Heights Convention. You know, there's a couple of good speakers up there, so I'm competing. I know, I know. Why are you here? You should be up there listening to somebody far better than I. <laughs> but anyway, you're stuck with me today, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're here. But uh, so what we're doing is we're going through a series looking at emotions or feelings and faith. So how uh, faith is affected by our feelings and how our feelings affect our faith. So we've been learning about what to do with our feelings. And uh, today, um, or this Easter, we've been looking at the most important feelings of all, the emotions and feelings of Jesus upon the cross last Friday. But now we're going to be looking at the emotions of Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. And it's just so amazing, isn't it? We, we learned that, that Jesus suffered so much and we could listen in on his suffering. It's holy ground. It's a place where you can say this is where Jesus is, how he really feels in his relationship with God. And we learned that God is so holy that Jesus had to die to save us. And that God is so loving that Jesus was willing to die to save us. And so we have a risen Saviour, a loving Saviour, one who would go through it all for us. And now we're going to go through his emotions with the resurrection. And so we're going to continue on uh, through Psalm 22. So we first saw um, the, the first 21 verses of Jesus suffering upon the cross, but now we're going to see a real change. And so I'm going to read it to us. It's uh, Psalm 22 uh, from verse 22. And these are Jesus' words. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised, he was not the... For he has not despised or scorned the sufferings of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him for dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, he has done it. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for these wonderful words. We thank you, Lord, that um, these words were written a thousand years before Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you, through your servant David, in, um, had these words written down for us today. But we pray that your spirit may fill our hearts and lives so that we may understand these words and what they mean for us. That you may challenge us 
and that we may be a generation who understands and knows and lives in the victory that you have won for us. That we may be an effective people reaching the people around us for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and so uh, we see first of all that um, these are the words of Jesus. You know, we, we looked at last time that in Acts chapter 2 verse 31 uh, when Peter was giving his the first uh, sermon that the church uh, received after Pentecost. He said these words. He said, um, David, seeing what was ahead, spoke of the resurrection of Jesus, that he would not enter into the grave and his body will not see decay. And so David, I mean, sorry, <laughs> the writer of the Acts, John, he says that it was these are the words of Jesus. And so we see that from verse 21 to verse 22, there is a major change, a major change. It says there, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly, I will praise you. Do you see the change? There's a massive change. He's first of all talking about, I've been abandoned by God, I'm feeling this pain and suffering, but now suddenly here it changes to, I will declare your name to my people. And so what's happened there? What's the change? Well, the answer is in verse 24 where it says, He has not hidden his face from me, but he has listened to my cry for help. And so what we have here, the change is, God heard the prayer of Jesus and rose him from the dead. Between verse 21 and 22, there is a resurrection. The resurrection has taken place and now we learn what to do. And do you see what he says? He says, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Now, this is, this is incredible. And so the risen Lord Jesus says, what I will do is I will stand in the middle of my people and praise God. Now, what we don't get here in the English is the word people. I think we need to understand the Greek a little bit better here. It says, I will declare your name to my brethren. To my brothers and sisters is what Jesus says. Uh, the idea is there that um, a brethren or a brother is somebody who is um, my brother but from a different mother but the same father. The idea is that uh, Jesus said, I will go to the upper room, I will go to my brethren, to my brothers and sisters, and I will proclaim your praise and say, here I am, I have risen. Can you see that? When the people, uh, when his disciples were in the upper room and Jesus appeared to them, he was praising God for the resurrection and he was telling them about it. But it goes far more than that. This family extends further and further. You see what it says there, it says, I will declare your name among my brothers and sisters. And then it says in verse 22, I will declare your name to my people, to my people, the people of Israel, in the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. Do you see what's happening? Jesus is declaring the praises of God amongst his brothers and sisters, then among the Israelites or the people of God. And then it continues. What does it say in verse 25? It says, From you comes the theme of my praise in the great Assembly, the great assembly. You see how this is expanding? And then from there it goes to verse 27 where it says, All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord 
and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. Do you see how big this congregation is getting? It's a great assembly. And then it goes even further. It goes to uh, posterity will serve you. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim the righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn. And I want you to see what Jesus is talking about there. He's talking about you and me. When Jesus rose from the dead and when he enters into the great assembly, he can see you there and he can see me there. Do you see? It began with his his brothers and sisters, then the nation of Israel, then the ends of the earth, then people everywhere. The writer to the Hebrews said it this way, Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers in the presence of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And so what we learn there is Jesus is praising God or leading worship. He's a worship leader, Siska. Jesus is leading worship in the great congregation from the ends of the earth, people from all over the place. Can you imagine Jesus in the middle? It doesn't say Jesus at the front, you know, leading, conducting. He's in the midst of the congregation, in the middle of everyone, worshipping God. And so there comes a time when we worship God and when we worship him, we worship him with Jesus. Where two or three are gathered in the name, there he is in the midst of them. Can you imagine? Jesus is in the midst of us right now, leading us in worship. He's calling our hearts to join together with him to bring praise to God for the wonderful news of salvation in him. No matter what we do, we are worshipping with Jesus. Jesus is the one who said, I will worship you in the great assembly. And so when you worship, do you know that? We need to understand that we worship with our brother, the risen Lord Jesus. The God of the universe worships the God of the universe and we are called into that worship. Isn't that beautiful? That's what resurrection means. It means we've been raised so that we can be in the great assembly to bring worship, true worship to our God. And so it goes from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Oh, I had a great story about this uh, the other day. It was uh, talking about World War II. And, you know, there was the, they were in the front line uh, battling the enemy. And uh, these uh, soldiers were um, in the midst of the battle. And one of their friends sadly passed away. He was shot. And he died. And they didn't want to just leave his body there. And so what they did was they carried him back from the front line and they went to one of those churches. You know, there were churches in the land in Europe. And so they went to a church where there was a graveyard and they went to the clergyman and they said, can we please bury our mate in your graveyard? And, uh, and the priest said, well, I'm terribly sorry, you can't. You know, we can only bury members of the church and people of our denomination here. And they went, oh, no, what are we going to do? And he said, oh, but, you know, the best thing you can do is just go outside of the fence and bury him there and walk after him there. And so they went around the fence, they buried their mate, and then they left for the front line. Well, sometime later they were coming back, and uh, they thought they'd visit their mate, they'd visit his grave. And as they came back, they went to the place where they thought he was, but he wasn't there. And so they went right around the perimeter, and they couldn't find the grave. And so they went to the priest and they said, look, you know, we're really sorry. Remember us? You know, we 
we buried our mate here. Do you know where his grave's gone? And the guy said, well, actually what happened, I felt so terrible about the idea that uh, we had to bury him outside of the gate. So what I did was I moved the fence. I moved the fence. And so now he's included in the, in the people of God in this cemetery. And isn't that a beautiful picture of what Jesus does? He moves the fence. He moves it from his brethren. <laughs> he moves it from Israel. He moves it from the neighbouring towns and countries around and he goes to the end of the earth, which is even Pakenham. He takes the fence and brings it past us so that we can be included in it. Jesus said that to the disciples, didn't he? He said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus is right here saying that I will proclaim the praises of God with people that come from the ends of the earth. I think that's such a wonderful witness and a wonderful example and something that we all need to know. Jesus is in our midst leading the worship. Can you hear Jesus' voice praising God? Can you participate in the worship of God the Father? For when you're there, then you understand, then you know what suffering is about. Because that's what happened, isn't it? It says there, uh, for uh, what verse is that in? Verse 24. It says, um, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. Isn't that amazing? So God the Father did not despise or scorn the suffering of Jesus upon the cross. He didn't say, oh, that's, oh, I, I'm offended by that. I don't like that at all. He didn't despise it. He actually used the suffering of Jesus, right? And so Jesus suffered and died upon a cross to save us and to bring us into the congregation to worship God and, and receive eternal life. He used the suffering of Jesus so that we may be brought into the kingdom of God. You know what that means? That means that God uses our suffering too. The things that we suffer, the things that we experience, all the things that go through in our lives, God does not scorn, God does not despise the suffering that we go through. God knows what we suffer. He knows what we endure and he turns all our suffering for good. We have to know that. Jesus is in the midst of the congregation telling us that when you go through trial, when you feel abandoned, when you feel that God isn't speaking to you, when you feel like you're going through all these sorts of things that are so overwhelming, you need to understand that you can worship God in the midst of the assembly and that through that suffering you will become better. For those who belong to the Lord, suffering comes to turn it into good, doesn't it? We become more like Jesus through suffering and others meet Jesus through our suffering. And so when there's suffering going on in our lives, we don't have to say, well, I've done something wrong and God's punishing me. There is those times when God disciplines, but also there is that time when God is using your suffering to bring others into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? God can even use the suffering that you're going through right now to bring people into the kingdom. God does not despise or scorn the suffering that you go through, but he feels it with you. Jesus is in the midst of us. He understands and he knows we have a living, risen Saviour who has endured all things so that then we will not be abandoned, 
but through our suffering become more like him. That's what we learn at Easter. That's what we learn on Easter, Resurrection Sunday morning. God, and then he continues on by talking about those. Do you see it says in verse 26, the poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. And so do you see that? It says the poor will eat and be satisfied. Blessed are the poor, for they will be filled. Jesus preached that, didn't he, in his Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who know that they're separated from God. Blessed are those who feel separated or abandoned by God because they will then eat and be filled. I love that because what that means is we don't have to try and build ourselves up and seem really good. What we need to do is feel our emptiness, feel our poverty, now know our inability to please God or enter into a relationship with him. When we feel that, then we go to Jesus and then Jesus is the one who brings us in. And so we need to not despise or use our suffering. We also need to know that we're poor and we depend completely on the grace of God. And when we receive the grace of God, we will eat and be filled. No matter what situation we're in life, no matter how we're going, we can be full of the presence of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Is that true? Because if that's true, that's what Easter's all about. We are filled with the presence of God because of what he has done for us. We are full. And so we ought to celebrate you see what it says there? It says, uh, verse 29, All the rich of the earth will feast oh, feast and worship. So it says, first of all, okay, I'm poor, but now I'm filled. But now we're getting beyond the uh, just being, you know, feeding. <laughs> we're up to the feasting. Don't you love that? Easter eggs, you know, hot cross buns. No, it says there, the rich of the earth will feast and worship. You can't worship unless you feast. You can't worship unless first you're filled and then you feast. When you go to the Lord Jesus and say, I can't save myself. There is nothing I can do to please God. I can't do it. I need you. Then he says, beauty, you've got it. The Spirit of God has worked within you and now you are filled. Now you can feast. What do you think feasting looks like? Any ideas? What does feasting look like? Fellowship, yeah. Feasting. Feasting upon the word of God. Eh? We can say we receive the message of the gospel, the milk of the word, you know. We receive, wow, Jesus died for our sins. On that resurrection Sunday, we rose with him and so we have eternal life. Now let's start the feast. And the feast is you know, receiving all that God has given us. We receive his word, and as we receive his word, we receive more and more and more. Do you understand? It's amazing. We can overcome everything in our lives because of what we can feast on. <laughs> you know, when we know that God will never let us go, when we know that God will give us what we need to overcome, that we can be all on our own, feeling totally overwhelmed, we can be so depressed and so sad, even there we can feast. If you don't put a smile on your face for understanding that, then nothing will change you. 
We need to know that we can feast on God because Jesus has finished the work. There is no more to do. You normally have a celebration when it's all finished, don't you? You know, at the end of a movie when the music starts, you know, Madagascar, I like to move it, move it. You know, they have this great big song. I had to use the kids one, you know, because I couldn't think of any others. But anyway, but the, so what, you know, there's always a celebration when it's all finished. And do you see what it says there? They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to the people yet unborn, that's us, he has done it. Now in the Hebrew it can easily be, it is finished. I love that because Jesus began this uh, um, psalm with, um, you know, why, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he ends by saying, it is finished. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? And the other thing I learned the other day too, which is very exciting, is that did you know that these psalms back in the original Hebrew handbook didn't have the, um, the numbers? They didn't have numbers. I never thought of that, but of course they don't. They were just a whole bunch of psalms. And so if you want to say, I'm going to read from Psalm, oh, I can't come up with a name, but the number, I have to come up with a name. And so the name of this Psalm is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so Jesus quoted the Psalm. The Psalm was right through him. You know, he lived the word of God and then he ended with, it is finished. What you can do now is you can feed and feast on the fact that it is finished. You know, I love the story I heard the other day that, uh, you know, this evangelist was preaching the gospel and uh, a guy came to him and said, he said, Preacher, how can I find eternal life? And the guy said, You're too late. You're too late. You're too late. It's been done. You know, the, the gospel says it's been done. There is nothing more you can do because it's too late. Jesus has done it all for us. He said, It is finished. And so what we do is we are filled with salvation and we feast on the celebration of all that we receive. And the rest of our lives on earth should be feasting, celebrating, remembering, using what we have so that people may see what it means to feast on the word of God. Because you see, what it says there, it says that those uh, who um, are rich will feast but it says, all who go to the dust of the earth will bow the knee before him. Now this is such a serious word that we all need to understand. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But we know that the poor will be filled and the rich will feast. But not everyone will be feasting in that day. Everyone will bow the knee but not everyone will be feast, feasting. And so what, what is our role? Our role is to tell the people around us to join the feast. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Every tongue will worship God because Jesus is in the midst of us, worshipping him with us. And so we need to live a life of worship feasting and worship so that then those who know, who need to know will find the message of the gospel. We don't want anyone to just bow the knee. We want everyone to be filled and feast. And so we're going to have a feast and uh, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And this is the most amazing thing. I don't think I've ever done the Lord's Supper on a, on a Resurrection Sunday, but it's so appropriate, isn't it? 
Jesus is in the midst of us, in the midst of the great assembly. He's declaring what he has done for us. He is worshipping God for the wonderful gift of salvation. And so now we can celebrate, we can remember and celebrate so that we can feast. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this wonderful psalm. We thank you that we have these wonderful words that you spoke through David looking to Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that these are the words that you have spoken. This is the process that you went through, that you died for us and that you rose again and now you can just be in the midst of all of us, worshipping God for all that you have done. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to know your presence, to be filled by your spirit so that we may truly feast and rejoice and worship with you. So please be in our midst. We thank you that you are in our midst by the bread and the juice. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to receive it so that we may be filled and that we may go away feasting and worshipping as we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.